Now to hear the words from our Lord, I'll be preaching from a, a whole bunch of passages. I hope you have a Bible with you. But we'll begin in chapter 24 of the book of Proverbs, verses 3 and 4. These are the words of God. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. These are the words of God. Let's ask his blessing. Father, as we turn to your word, may your spirit guide our hearts and minds into understanding and obedience in all aspects of our lives. May our theology work its way out through our fingertips into our homes and in this church. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as I said last week, I'm going through a short series, short family series of uh, kind of miscellaneous uh, topics, practical topics, things to think about with regard to raising our children, to uh, the relationship uh, of our marriage, and how that all fits together into God's call for us to be kingdom builders. All aspects of our lives are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, you are good disciples. We have a great church, many people who understand the importance of gathering together each and every Lord's Day and being renewed. We all need to do that, and then we all need to go from here and understand how to apply the lordship of Jesus Christ in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, with the things that God has given us, with the opportunities and gifts that we have, with the difficulties and trials that he brings to us, and how all of those things are used by him to bring glory to his name if we obediently and by faith uh, follow after him and lay all of those things to him. Watch him bless as we walk in obedience and, and in the obedience of faith in these things. Today we're going to talk about your heart, your home, and your wallet. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon being your treasures or riches, which particularly as Jesus uses the term, these are treasures or riches that have in a sense become personified. They become idols. They become gods in competition with God. You cannot serve. You cannot be a slave to. You cannot be owned by God and mammon. You only have one Lord. You cannot have two. So your budget, or lack thereof, your bills, your debts, your savings and investments all have an impact on your home life. It is possible to gain everything you ever dreamed of. It's possible to be the richest man in the world. It's possible to have, have, have achieved every financial dream, material dream you ever have hoped for, and at the same time, lose your soul and ruin your family. Mark 8, 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's also possible to drive your family into debt and poverty and lose everything, including your family, either um, by mismanagement or a, 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 a form of asceticism that says you just need to get rid of everything and drive your family into great despair. Proverbs 6, 10 and 11, a little sleep, a little somber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. God has given us the opportunity to work, to provide for our families, to build, um, the, the, to build riches, investments to be used for him. And when we don't, take those, uh, we don't take those opportunities, we can drive ourselves into poverty and at the same time lose our soul. It's also possible to be wealthy and blessed in and with that wealth, as well as to be stricken with financial hardships 
and at the same time be content with your station as you live. Paul would write in Philippians 4, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, you can be rich and blessed. You can be poor and blessed. You can be rich and cursed. You can be poor and cursed. You can be rich and content. You can be rich and discontent. You can be poor and content. You can be poor and discontent. So let's dive in and see how God uses finances, what he calls us to do with the things that he has given us. The passage I had read is Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. One, one more time. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. The text teaches us that there's no curse in material blessings per se. There's no curse in material stuff. Um, the, the things that God has created, the things that, that he has made on this earth are good. He created them all. In the end of six days, he said, they're all good, very good. The fall has brought um, a kind of perversity in our hearts, not in the things, a kind of envy in our hearts, not in the things. Sin in, in the way we turn to those things and use those things, but not in the things themselves. They're good. God created them. But notice, notice in the passage that it is a blessing only, it's a, a blessing only when it is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that have built the home and filled it with riches. There's the key. It takes wisdom and knowledge and understanding as defined by God in order that those riches are a blessing and that they fill your home with pleasant things. This is not referring to savvy business practices, but to hearts, hearts filled with the fear of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to be plastering you with Proverbs. They're listed in the outline. They're not written out there. You just need to listen to them. This is how we, this is part of how we gain wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come like a, a hurling rock in, uh, of a thousand pounds landing in your home and there it is, all wisdom. Wisdom comes with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and layers and layers and layers upon experience and life practices and failures and successes and, um, and advice from your elders. Elders, from, your, uh, from those who have gone before you, from the, from the written word, all layered upon layer. That's how wisdom is gained. Philippians 1.7 tells us where it starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And of course, Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, also proverbial, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So seek first the kingdom of God, he says, and not instead your bigger barns. It's not that Jesus doesn't want to add and, and provide, or that God doesn't want to add and provide to your things. It's that he doesn't want you to give your heart to those things. So in, uh, in, in contrast to his word, in, to Jesus' word in 633, turn with me to Luke chapter 12.
with those words of Jesus, it's, it's helpful to keep in your mind as you listen to this parable, the parable of the rich fool. Then one from the crowd, this is a, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in, a, yeah, Luke 12, verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, though, then, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And so this is how wisdom is built. This is how wisdom builds a godly home. Wisdom builds a godly home when it's the foundation is the fear of the Lord. When the foundation is that understanding that God blesses everything around you or he curses the things around you based on your heart, your heart obedience before him. And so godly wisdom seeking is, is sets particular priorities for us in our own hearts and in our homes. Proverbs 3, 13 through 15, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. It's as if God is saying that if, it's, if, you, if you pursue riches, they'll, they'll crush you. If you pursue wisdom and knowledge and understanding, the riches will be the things that God gives you to use that wisdom and knowledge and understanding for his blessing, for the blessing of his name and towards his people. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? What are you pursuing the most? Wisdom or gold? How, how much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. In Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold in a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are the precious jewel. And you either believe this or you don't. You either, it is so easy for us as Christians to, to set aside, you've, you've, you've assented to this. Yes, it's better to pursue wisdom. Yes, it's better to uh, pursue knowledge. Yes. But then Monday comes and the bills come due. And the opportunity to, to, to pursue um, maybe with just a little bit of mm, twisted business practices here or there come before you. And all of a sudden, your heart begins to reveal actually, or your hands begin to reveal actually what your heart believes. What are we pursuing more than anything else? True wisdom does produce material blessing. So it comes. This is the way that God made the world. True wisdom does bring forth material blessing. But, the, but that blessing is in a sense a byproduct of what the wisdom seeker is truly pursuing. That's the way God has made the world. That, that those who are pursuing that and then living in wisdom and understanding and knowledge, it tends to go that those people prosper materially because they're cutting with the grain of, of the God who made the world and the way the world is made. And when they do so, when their first pursuit is wisdom, it's not unusual that material blessing comes. But it's a byproduct. It's not the thing that that person's seeking after. That's the wisdom. Is not to make it that the thing that you are. That I'm. I won't be content until I have. I won't be. I won't be successful until I have reached. I won't be um, at peace 
to build, I'm building that other barn to fill it up more. And then I can say to myself, be at ease. No, that's not when you become at ease. That's not the point at which you take your ease. You take your ease when you've received wisdom and knowledge and understanding about the God that you serve and the world that he has made. So, we must self-consciously seek wisdom, even when it appears to be at the expense uh, of rubies. This was Jesus' point with the rich man. This is how he has to confront the rich man. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 17, chapter 10. Now, as Jesus was going on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And then Jesus stops there. That's not all ten. And this man answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And only in the Gospel of Mark are we told that that particularly, that Jesus loved him. Many think that possibly Mark himself was the rich young ruler. Lots of reasons that he could have been that, that he could have been that uh, person who would later become a disciple of, of Jesus and the author of this book, probably walking alongside with Peter. So it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and gave him the most ridiculous command. Here's what he said. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come. Take up the cross and follow me. What? What? What was Jesus getting at? Was the problem the finances or the heart? It says in verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions, and they were great to him. And then it goes on. Jesus looked around, verse 23, and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Let me be more clear, he says. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And, and, and that, that probably is not just because they thought that a rich man was, um, was somehow evil or good. Probably what's happening is culturally, um, you know who was the, the richest community um, um, among the people in Jerusalem at the day were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were oftentimes very wealthy and then able not to have to work. They could just give themselves to the study of God's word, to pursuing righteousness, to trying to kind of remove themselves from the dirty things of the world. And so they're looking at the Pharisees who are very, very rich. And Jesus is saying, those who trust in riches, <laughs> they're not going to enter in the kingdom of God. And they're looking at the Pharisees. We think of Pharisees as just evil now. But in, in, in the normal day, they were the kind of super followers of God. And so, that, so the, uh, the disciples say, who then, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. And Peter says, see, we have left all and followed you. There's impetuous Jesus, uh, Peter again. <laughs> hey, look, we've left all. We're following you. And Jesus 
comforts him. He answers him and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He says, it's, it's, it's not about the riches. It's, it's about if, if your heart has taken the things that God has given you, not just your money, but to people around you, your relationships. If all of those things are offered up to God, if they're set aside for the sake of the kingdom, if God is number one, all these other things will just be multiplied. Now, they might not be multiplied um, all the time in, 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 uh, uh, in, in numbers that you can count, numbers of coins, but how about in the blessings of the relationships themselves? How about in the fact that we all become, for instance, our own, our brothers and sisters in Christ following? There's all kinds of ways that God then blesses very materially right here in this earth, in this world, for those who seek after the kingdom of God first. And beyond that, eternal life with him forever. That's his point. In 1 Timothy uh, 6, the rich are not told to get rid of their riches, but rather to be careful with them. Command, Paul writes to Timothy, those who are rich in this present age. Uh, stop there for a second. Um, he's talking about you and me. Like in, in the history of the world and in the geography of the whole world, the demographics of the six billion plus people on this earth. I'm sorry, but you are the 1%. Yeah, we are. We're the rich. Okay, so he's talking to us then. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So the rich are not told to sell all they have. That one rich man was as a test... But the rich aren't generally told to sell all they have, but they are properly warned of what they have and what they must do with it. God loves to bless those who love to bless with the things that he's given them. Proverbs eleven twenty four: there is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grains, but blessing will be on the head, head of him who sells it. And then Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 22, 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who, he who hides his eyes will have many curses. This is the mark of the wealthy wise man, of the wealthy wise man. Riches are not evil in themselves. I mean, think about it for a second. If riches were evil, for, if riches were evil in themselves, why would God tell us to give them to people? <laughs> See, there's nothing wrong with them in themselves. If there was, then he would be telling us to hurt people by giving them, uh, sharing with them our riches. Do you see? So, Rich and, rich and poor are both blessed. Rich and poor both can be blessed in their state. You see, for instance, Abraham was a friend of God and the father of all the faithful down through history. 
We know that. We know, we know our Bibles. We know the New Testament. We know that Abraham is believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and that all who have the faith of Abraham are sons of Abraham, right? But did you know that Abraham was a very, very, very rich man? Genesis 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. And Abram, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. The father of our faith was a rich man, a very rich man, and he was blessed by God. In spite of all of his wealth, he knew how to look for a deeper inheritance. We see that in Hebrews 11, where, where we are told that he looked forward to, to a greater and a future place than the place that he had and the things that he had. And then on the other side, we have the story of the poor woman with only two mites who gives all that she has to the Lord, and Jesus blesses her. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, surely I say to you that this poor widow, widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty in all that she had, her whole livelihood. She was blessed as Jesus notices her. What matters is not your money, but your heart. You are the one with, you, you, you are the one with the temperature, and money is just the thermometer. God is testing your heart with your finances. God is testing your heart with the riches that he gives you. God is testing your heart with the withholding of riches that he keeps from you. In both situations, God is testing your heart. You're the, thermo you, the, the money is just the thermometer. God is interested in your temperature. God does not mind his people having money. He minds money having his people. And money can have you. It can have you whether you're poor or rich. It can have you whether you're rich or poor. And so we are to learn financial prudence. Turn to another uh, set of Proverbs, to Proverbs chapter 27. Verses 23 through 27. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Probably means keep a budget and, and keep track of your things. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goats, milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. Financial prudence. Prudence over your material things that God has given to you. We must be careful. We are, we are told we are to be careful to manage our finances, our material goods, with prudence and diligence. We're commanded not to worry about tomorrow. But at the same time, that does not give us license to be negligent in our duties to provide for our families to get and remain out of debt, to grow in our generosity, and to build an inheritance for our children. Paul writes in 1 Timothy that it's worse, it's, it, you are worse than an unbeliever if you're not a man who's taking care of providing for your family. It's worse than an unbeliever to not provide for your family. So in order to be prudent, in order to be faithful before God on behalf of your family, 
as the heads of your family, fathers and husbands, as families together in the way you think as a family about the things that God has entrusted to you, we must seek the blessing. We must seek God's blessing with these things. And we seek the blessing of God at least in three ways I have for us here. First of all, seek the blessing of God in our work. In, in whatever vocation, whatever you've been called to, um, we are told that we are his workmanship, that we aren't to be saved by works because we're his workmanship. He, he's the one who's, who is saving us, and he's the one who has put in us um, works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if God prepared for you to walk in works, what would be wrong with him providing you to walk in those works and prosper from them? It would all be to the blessing of God. Both the works themselves and the blessings that would come would all be blessing God. And God has a calling for all of us to walk in. That includes many different things, but of course it includes your vocational work, your job. Work is not a curse. To have to get up in the morning and go to work is not a curse. In Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to tend and keep it. There was a lot of work to do. And this is before the fall. There was lots of work to do before the fall. It was a, a, a blessing that God was going to give. And what was going to come before the fall? What was going to come of, of Adam's faithful work in the garden? Well, there was going to be a harvest. There was going to be more that would come from taking care of. God intended that the work would produce a material blessing. That's the way he made the world. It's a good thing and a blessing to God. But then the curse came, and the curse was placed after the fall. But God's normal means of bringing blessing to men is through hard, honest work. Proverbs 10, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. If you're not out working and working hard, if you don't think it's important to work and work hard, to be the best that you can, the vocations that you have been given, you are ashamed. You're ashamed to your family, and you're ashamed to, to, to the Lord who has set you to take dominion over the earth. To, in the area, in the garden he has planted for you to, to grow things up, he expects, he expects you to get a profit. He expects to bless you through it. This is what it means to be a Christian on this earth. To use the things of God for the glory of God. To enjoy the things that God gives us. Share those things with, as God has given us. And do so all to the glory of God. And as we do our work unto the Lord, we should, it's appropriate to look for the blessing. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man who ex excels in his work? He will stand before kings. That's what God says is going to happen. We're going to be the best or one of the best at the things that God gives us to do. Because you're going to work hard to the glory of God, not against the glory of God, not in, not in competition with the glory of God, but all for God and all for his glory. Seek the blessing of God in your work. Secondly, seek the blessing of God in the midst of your financial situation. As we said, Paul's, uh, Paul says in, uh, in, uh, in, in Philippians 4, I'm going to turn there and read it once more. I don't think I read it last time. In, in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. By the way, he's writing this while he's in prison, thanking them for gifts that he's brought him. They're, they're probably sending him some food. It wasn't, wasn't really kind of the normal thing for the Roman, uh, Roman guards to make sure that their prisoners had food. Other people would take care of that, they thought. So they've sent him stuff that he needs. And, and he, he's giving them thanks. But he says to them from prison, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As he writes this thank you letter for their provision. As, and what do, we, what do we see from this principle? Seeking the, the blessing of God in the midst of whatever financial, whatever material situation you find yourself in. As God blesses your family with financial health, wealth, and you know your hands are clean in it. You know you've received it as a blessing from God. You know you've obediently, um, pros- you've, you've obediently served him in such a way that you've prospered. Find contentment in Christ's blessing. Manifest in, in thanksgiving, in humility, and generosity. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed for being rich. You, you, can, you can be thankful before God. You can, you can be humble before God. I don't deserve this. You're so kind. And you can be generous like God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And as God blesses your family with financial hardships, did you hear me? As God blesses your family with financial or material hardships, and, and you know your hands are clean, you know that it wasn't your sin that brought this on. Or you've confessed that sin now, and you're, and you're clean before God. Then find contentment in Christ's blessing. Manifest in love and joy around a table that has nothing to do with quantity. Proverbs 15, 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. It'd be better to be poor and content before God and in fellowship with those around the table with you than it would be to be rich and be at odds where there's strife, where there's unbelief, where oftentimes there's actually anxiety in the midst of the riches because these people haven't turned themselves over and thanked God for what he's given them. You see that? And so it has nothing to do with quantity and everything to do with the gift of righteousness. Proverbs 16.8, better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A clean conscience and a content home are priceless gifts of God. They are gifts of God. Your heart, your heart regarding your finances and not your finances will determine your contentedness. Your heart regarding your finances and not the number at the bottom of your balance sheet is going to be the thing that determines your contentedness. So seek the blessing of God in your work, seek the blessing of God in your financial situation, and seek the blessing of God in your tithe. 
Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know, you compare that to Luke, um, uh, that passage in Luke where he's building and filling barns. And we say, well, that's bad to fill barns. And it says here, if you tithe before the Lord, you honor him with your possessions. You give your first fruits to him and I'm going to fill your barns, he says. <laughs> huh. I guess it's not the barns, you see? You see that? It's not the barns. It's our hearts. Your tithe honors the Lord. Done in faith with understanding what you're declaring in your tithe. When you take the first fruits, when you take that tenth of what the increase has been in your home, whether it was large or small, you take that tenth and you give it to the Lord. What are you doing? Well, you're honoring the Lord that all of it came from him. And that all of it is, is yours to steward because he's given it to you to steward on his behalf. You are his uh, vice regents. You are, you are princes and princesses under the king who has been granted these things to now go serve him. You take the tithe. You honor him with the tithe to remember that all of it is his. And then you walk with a 90% that has been blessed instead of 100% that hasn't. Now, which would you rather have? And that's basically what he's saying. He's not promising, he's not promising, you give 10% and watch, you're going to get 15% back tomorrow. It's not like that. What he's promising is, um, what would you rather have? Would you rather work with the 100% that I haven't blessed? That you haven't recognized that is mine? Or would you rather walk with 90% I have blessed? Because you know what happens when I bless it, God says? That's what he's telling us. That's what he's testing us with. And so... Done in faith with understanding, it declares that everything you have is from the Lord and it all in turn belongs to him. It humbles our hearts and causes us to grow in godly fear and thankfulness. It teaches us to trust him and not our finances for every need we will ever have. I, I give my first fruits and then I, because I'm trusting God to take care of all my needs. So the paycheck comes and I'm thinking, ooh, finally, I'm going to be able to take care of some of my needs because the paycheck came. And God says, wait, 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 wait. Are you going to trust the paycheck or are you trusting me? See, so that's, what, that's what's happening there. When the harvest comes and you don't bring the first fruits to him, what are you declaring? What are you trusting to take care of your needs? The harvest or the Lord of the harvest? That's what the tithe teaches you. That's what the tithe teaches your heart. It teaches us to trust him. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, 23, it says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. All the things that God brings in, all of your increase, you tithe it because the Lord brought it all to you. So with each harvest, with each paycheck, you are to truly tithe before the Lord. This is not a tithe on your possessions, but rather on your increase. It's on the harvest, which reminds us, what do you have that you have not received? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Tithing reminds us that everything we have is from the Lord. And, the th and tithing expresses your complete dependence upon God's kindness and grace. God isn't your first creditor. He is, he, this is not your first tax. He's your provider, and you are bringing your tithe and tribute to him as the, as the Lord. 
You could turn to um, Deuteronomy 26. We won't do that this morning and, and read more about bringing that tithe before him and rejoicing before him with that tithe, actually taking a part of that tithe and partying before God, rejoicing before him um, for all the goodness, for all the good that he is. Tithing teaches us not just to rejoice in the Lord, but tithing, these passages says, teaches us to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So tithing teaches us to fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord brings to us understanding and knowledge and wisdom about the world and the things of the world and the God of this world. Now, some people think that the tithe went away in the Old Testament. It's very, um, there's not a, an express command to tithe, but, but Paul and, and, and others in the, in the New Testament are very clear that, that the church and, and those who are, in, in, are, are to bring the gospel to teach the people are to live off the same gifts that, that were coming in in the Old Covenant situation as well. Uh, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, it says, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Paul assumed a faithful tithe will accomplish the same goals as in the Old Testament administration. Tithing teaches us that 100% belongs to God for our stewardship. And it therefore requires, it requires cheerful giving. It, 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 you must not come with a sense that this is a tax that's cutting away from that which I'm going to be able to use. But rather it's going to, it's, it's always a blessing to begin with. And as I, as I live in that blessing and show forth that I'm received it as a blessing... I'm blessed even more. I'm blessed even more. That means we can look to the same promises from God regarding faithful tithing. Not that we give to receive, but that we give to receive that we might give even more. That we might have the generosity of God. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me. Here's the bet, God says. Try me now. In this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. James 1.17, we're reminded, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No, 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 no. You say, I worked. I earned that paycheck. This has nothing to do with God. This has, this has everything to do with how hard I worked this last week, this last month. No, you've missed it. You, you need wisdom. You need wisdom and understanding. How in the world did you get, how in the world were you able to have the education, the experience, the opportunity to be able to do that work to get that check? Oh, it has nothing to do with God. I went to college. I studied hard. I, I've been practicing. Oh, and who gave you those days so you could actually have education, so that you could actually have experience? Who gave you those hands? Um, did you figure out how to do this with your fingers? Huh? No, no, no. God gave you that. And eyes to see and brains to use. It's all a gift. Every good and perfect gift that you have ever received and you will never, you could never count them all. Every good and perfect gift you've ever received came from a very, very generous God. And he says, go be like me. Go be like me. So it, this means not simply, it, this is not just a, simply a personal issue though between you and God. 
Although it is that, but at the same time, biblical tithing as the people of God is a measure, uh, and for your family, is a measure of your family's understanding of God's immeasurable grace, absolute sovereignty, hope in future grace, and a call to imitate our Lord's generosity. When you are teaching your family, when your family is living in an atmosphere of seeking the blessing of God in our work, God bless our day as we go off to work. And thank you for all you've given us and the opportunities to do it. When you seek the blessing of God in your financial situation, your family, your wife, your husband, your children, see you participating in blessing God for whatever he has given and whatever he has withheld as you ask him to bless the labors of your hands, as you ask him to take care of your needs, as you thank him for the trials that he's called you to walk in and believe him that he's the great deliverer, you will have a home of peace. You will have a home of peace and prosperity, spiritual prosperity guaranteed. Financial prosperity, most likely. It's, it, it just, because that cuts with the grain of the way the world works and the way that God works in the world. As you teach your family, as you, as, as you grow up as a family, and every time anything comes in, you say, this is from the Lord. Let's honor him. Let's give back. What, what could we support? What could we give to? Who could we help? And you turn around and you give some of it that way. You will build generous people like God in your home. You will not, you'll, instead, of, in, instead of miserly people, miserly, afraid and, and, and gathering as much as they can and packing it away and building bigger barns because you never know, you never know when the prices are going to just explode and I'm going to need this. What are you trusting? What are you trusting? A home that is seeking God with regard to material blessings in this way is a home that is full of peace and contentment regardless of financial standings. And a home that is not will be a home of strife and anxiety regardless of financial standings. That's the way God made the world. It will shape your family one way or another. And at the same time, it will also shape us as a church. So let me finish with just some uh, practical things, wisdom, finances in your home, some things to pursue. Where is God's kind or hard providence leading you? Is your family full of strife or contentment over your financial situation? Seek wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Seek first the kingdom of God. And say no to all forms of coveting. It's all around you. Our advertising industry thrives on getting us to break the 10th commandment all the time. But coveting is idolatry. It is idolatry, and you cannot serve God and mammon. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, as we saw in 1 Timothy 6. And so guard your heart and guard the hearts of your home. Guard your children's hearts who are being, who are being um, uh, advertised to, to be envious and coveting of all the things that they, they're, you're being, they're being told that the neighbors have. So you, they should have them too. And they shouldn't be content until they have them. So guard your heart and guard the hearts of your home. More often than not, people who are enslaved debtors got there by transgressing the 10th commandment. I got to have it. I got to have it now. Make sure that you live a life of honest financial dealings. That you're not trying to just, you know, cut, cut a little off the top here and there and get away with a little extra. Are you honest regarding your income, your taxes, your tithes, your bills, and your spending? Because God cares. Are you honest with your creditors? Are you honest with your spouse, your children, your parents? Are you honest with your employer or with your employees? 
Are you honest with your customers? You know that the, um, who, you know who the number one thief is in um, ATM machine um, th uh, thievery? It's children. It's children. Children are the number one thieves when it comes to misuse of ATM machines. But it won't happen in a home where there's generosity, where there is contentment, where there's the teaching of wisdom, where there's honest, um, honest financial dealings between father and son. Um, that, that's, that's not going to be the place that it happens. Are you honest about bet, between family members? Are you honest with your employer? Are you honest with your employees? Are you honest with your customers? God knows, and in his normal providence, much will be revealed and much will be revealed even in this life. But worse, if you live in hypocrisy in lives, it will be revealed at the final judgment. And finally, Ecclesiastes 11, another great, another great verse, concept, principle about being like God. Super prodigal. Looking like you're wasteful an awful lot of the time. Because you're so, you're so generous with your stuff that God has given you because he's been so generous to you. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. You don't know if you're going to have another chance to be that generous. That's what he's saying. So give it, give it now. That's, that's, what, that's what he's saying. When, it is, when it's not an idol... Your money is a blessing to you, and you're able to be open-handed with it, generous to others, thankful to be like God. With an almost I dare you mentality, God instructs us to be generous everywhere and in everything. Full of grace, we bring our tithes and offerings. Turning to those in need, we give up our time, talents, and treasures to help. The rich things of this life were not given to, to us just for us, but to share with others in the name of Christ. And so seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. Seek first Christ and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. When Christ and mammon are not in competition for your heart, then your riches become your servant instead of the other way around. And as you seek to honor Christ, to love God, to lead your family in this contentment, in the state that God has you, and seeing the, the, everything you have is this unbelievable blessing from God, and you live with thankfulness in your heart before God, watch him bless it. Watch him bless you and your family immensely as you walk before him in the rich peace that God gives to those who follow him with faithful obedience, the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Oh, let us count them and give you thanks. Thank you for the material blessings from this earth, the good things of this earth that you have granted us to use and to bless one another with. Let us live in obedience and contentment with what you give and what you promise. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, let's stand.